Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to not only meet with you, but to meet together. God, we see it as a divine right that we have, that we can freely come and worship. We ask, though, Father, that although we are in a space where we can freely gather and be together, we are absent from the tension of being able to gather, but we are in the very presence of distractions, God. We ask, God, that even now you would remove those distractions would take away from the seed that you want to plant today. God, would you germinate your word in our hearts, allow it to bear much fruit. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God for those of you here that are here physically, those of you that are here online. We're going to look at the book of 1 Kings as a case study and looking at leadership and elevation. One of the things that I feel, especially here in New York City, is a tremendous tension is that so many of the articles I read, so many of the people I see exalted are young, 30 under 30, 40 under 40. And that means that the younger you are, the more pressure you feel to feel elevated and to be in your next season. You know, in all the years I've been doing ministry, No one has said, man, I cannot wait for this next season. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be pain. Everybody thinks their next season's up, right? Everybody thinks their next season is going to be that next step to the dream, the next step to the goal, the next step to envisioning whatever God has placed in your heart. They believe that this is their one step away from experiencing the blessing that they feel like God has placed in their heart. And I pray that is the case for you. But we have to understand that where there is a journey that God has with us, there is sacrifice and trial and a need for great patience. When we look at Paul, the apostle, a desire to be a missionary. But if you look in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that he's, in, he's been flogged 40 times, that he's been in danger and in shipwrecked. He had to have great patience and great sacrifice for him to do the very thing God wanted him to do. When you look at Joseph, Joseph has this incredible dream. He sees himself as a dynamic leader. He knows what he wants God to have him to do. But Joseph has to end in a prison. And although he would become second in charge to Pharaoh, he would have to experience great pain and sacrifice. You think about David. David is anointed as king as a teenager. But he has to wait over and over and over again before he actually becomes king. You think about Abram. Abram's given this incredible vision to be a blessing amongst the nations. But it takes years and decades to even have one child, much less many. Whatever elevation looks like, it will come with great patience, great sacrifice, and a great deal of obedience. Don't worry about that. That wasn't a gunshot. That was ice. Praise God. 
So what does the scriptures tell us? 1 Peter 5 and 6 says it this way. Humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, watch this, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And everything you feel right now is pressure and speed. Next, now, urgency. And the world is not pressuring you to be urgent towards obedience. The world is pressuring you to be urgent towards the next season, the next step, a greater exaltation. And what Peter told us is that God actually wants to exalt you. He wants to lift you up. That does not mean necessarily a platform and a blue check. What that means is he wants to take you to another level. He wants to, whatever seed, dream, desire he's given you, he wants to place you there at another level in him to be glorified, that he might be glorified in you. But he says there's a time for it. And we are in a season in our world where the very thing you're feeling pressure for is time. Now, next, now, next. And I, we're going to look in the book of 1 Kings because the book of 1 Kings is an amazing book that deals with all the monarchs that came after David. There's 40 kings that would come. And these 40 kings, essentially, they're good kings and bad kings. In fact, throughout the book of 1 Kings, it's really about good and bad. Good kings, bad kings, good prophets, bad prophets. But it all comes down to whether they would be loyal to God in their exaltation as a leader. Or would they circumvent that process for the sake of power? And for you, you feel a deep pressure to be now and next. And you can be next. And it can be now. Question is, will you wait on God? Will you allow yourself to go through the arduous, slow moving process of walking with Him? Because you can get to another level in the world and not walk with Jesus. The world will exalt you and have you sacrifice the Lord Himself. The question isn't what's next, the question is who's with you in your next. Are you walking with him, patiently with him? And in Kings, we see this pressure, and we're going to deal with one of the kings right here in the beginning. Look in 1 Kings chapter 2. In 1 Kings chapter 2 is a very interesting point because in chapter 2, it actually sets up chapter 1. In 1 Kings chapter 2, it says that when David's time to die drew near, his com he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go away uh, to go away all the earth. I mean, I'm about to die. David was about 70 years old. He had fought many battles, right? Then in, uh, later on in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, this is what he says to Solomon, his son, who he has already said he's going to pass on uh, the kingship to. He says, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commands, his rules, his testimonies as it's written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. 
The principle he's establishing is how a leader and a king establishes his throne. And establishing that throne, he's saying the foundation, the, the, the priority will be on the word of God. In essence, what he's saying is obedience is the foundation of your success, Solomon. Let that be your primary book that you go to in order to learn your vision for success. David could have sat him down and given him military advice. He could have given him relationship advice. He could have given him all types of insights. But the first thing he told him was, keep the word of God your priority, and your priority in the word of God will be your definition of success. And so this is the foundation. This is why when you look there, he uses all these variety of words to talk about the word of God, statutes, commands, rules. They're all getting at the details and the depths of the word of God. And that sets up what he says in verse four. He says, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What you would think in those times, what they would normally do if a man's dying, he's going to talk about all the enemies that are going to attack him, all the nations. And he says, don't worry about the nations and the enemies. Sons, worry about your walk, your heart, your love of God. That's what he says but on his dying bed. Focus on you and the Lord. And so what I think that one author called it a careful obedience, a detailed, clarified obedience. So much pressure on us to be great, to be next. So much detail we put into our resumes. So much instruction we have about how to increase our brand. So much thought that's put into how to have the right network. And we're so careful about everything except obedience. What he's saying is have a careful obedience. Know my statutes, my laws, my commands, the testimony. What he's saying is there should be a tremendous handle that we have on the word of God. So that whatever God thinks about our money, we think. Whatever God thinks about our relationship, we think. Whatever God thinks about our next season, we think. And so we don't find ourselves injecting our minds constantly with whatever the world says about our next season, whatever the world says about our finances, whatever the world says about us, because our identity is in Christ. And so this careful obedience David on his dying bed says, here's my best advice, follow God. That's the best advice I can give you. Now he would go on to tell him about leaders he'd need to watch and things he'd need to be careful for. But he anchors him in the word of God. Now church, this is why this is so important. Because the king, Solomon, ends up having the baton passed to him. But David actually has a son, and his name is Adonijah. And Adonijah has a problem with Solomon being put in place as king. And look here in 1 Kings verse 5. 1 Kings uh, chapter 1 verse 5. So go to the chapter before that. 
Again, in chapter 2, kind of sets up chapter 1. And it's interesting because there's only a few verses in, and all of a sudden in verse 5, it says, Now, Adonijah, son of Higgith, Higgith was his mom, and that was one of David's wives. He says, he, look what it says, he exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Y'all got to see this about Anijah. Anijah, Adonijah rather, the reason why he had an issue was because Absalom and Ammon and the other brothers that would have come before him in line are now dead. And so what Adonijah has done is he says, well, Absalom, he did. Uh, uh, Amnon, he did. So I'm the next in line. And numerically in order, he would have been the next son in line. But David didn't choose him. He chose Solomon. And so what he's doing is he's looking at how the world establishes their kings by lineage, not by selection and choosing and calling. And so what ends up happening is Adonijah looks at himself, looks at his resume and says, I should be next. I should be king. And look what he does. He prepares, look what he says. He, it, look, how, look how the phrasing, he exalts himself. And what does he do? He prepared for himself chariots and horsemen. So what he does is not only does he decide I should be king, but then he sets up a triumphal entry. He gets his own chariots, his own horsemen, not David's chariots, his own chariots, his own horsemen. What is he trying to do? He thinks he's a king and he tries to look like a king, but he's not the king. And what actually is happening is Adonijah has decided it's my time. It's go time, baby. I should be, you know, I should, I should. And if you ever felt that, I should, I should. And if she is, then I should. And if he is, I should. And how could, because I should. And they shouldn't, because I should. How could he, because I should. He should. No, he didn't, because I should. I should be king is really what he's saying. And why didn't David choose me? Because when you look at him, I mean, I got the same thing Solomon got. We got, I ain't got. And I'm the next in line, so when I count the numbers, I think it's my time. I should be king. And if you're honest this morning, you feel the spirit of Adonijah in your heart saying, I should. I should. He shouldn't. She shouldn't. I should. About good things. For seven years, my wife and I, we tried to get pregnant. Don't you know everybody and their mama got pregnant? People had no business getting pregnant, got pregnant. People were like, why is she having a baby? We should have a baby. We'd be good parents, Jesus. We're like, why is everybody getting the thing that we want? I should. And that's what he's saying. I should be king. And the spirit of Adonijah hovers over this city, pressuring you for your next should. And you... Feel that pressure on a daily basis. And it is within our culture. It makes you depressed. It gets you confused. It makes you feel lonely. And it makes you feel unseen by God. Because all the other people are getting their shoulds except me. Adonijah says, I should be king. 
even though he's not the king. Now, how did Adonijah become like this? How did he get like this? Well, the scripture actually gives us some insight. Look in verse 6. They're going to tell on you in the scriptures, right? His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also very handsome, and he was born after Absalom. So look, look at it. Okay, so he says he was born after Absalom, so he thinks he's the next in line, right? We dealt with that. But the other thing was he was handsome. That means he's used to getting affirmation, right? But the other thing, which is of utmost importance, his father, David, David was a great man, man after God's own heart. What was David not good at being a father? He was great at being a a leader to the nations. He was not a good dad. But here's why. While he was ready to go to war with all the nations, he could not make his son, his own son, displeased. He didn't want to disappoint his kids. And one of the things that happened for Adonijah was he was a handsome young man that never learned the, the blessing of discipline by his parents. And so this concoction of Adonijah first started with him in his home. And now, because he did not have the framework of discipline and being displeased by his parents, he ends up feeling like, I should have what I have no business having. Now, this is not a sermon on parenting, but feel the weight of this. Our kids' enjoyment and pleasure is an outcome of our love for them. But if we always feel we have to please our kids, we are setting them up not only for unruly behavior, but for unrealistic expectations in life. Because that boss will displease you. Your wife will displease you. The world is not here to please you. And if you create a system of pleasing kids, you will create in them miniature rebels that will grow up and be hard-headed adults. And this is what, this is what, so, so I just want you to know, Adonijah, the, the devil didn't enter, Adonijah, this is not like, you know, Judas, where the, Satan entered him. That's not what happened. He was like this when he was a child. And it was never dealt with. Adonijah's doing what he'd been doing since he was probably about 10 years old, okay? So this has been an ever-present problem. He's a good-looking kid that's never had discipline. Don't think you won't raise a little Adonijah. I, I don't have time to go into that. <laughs> Y'all chill, but just... So Adonijah looks at himself, says, I'm cute. He looks at the world's process and says, I should be next. And he's never had to submit. He's not created a pattern of submission in his life. So now what has fully been born in the heart of Adonijah? Listen to me, worldly ambition. With church clothes on. He's taking the king, he's becoming the king of Israel. Don't think you cannot have worldly ambition with church clothes on. He has the world's lust for ambition in his heart, but he's doing it in the name of the Lord. 
And that same lust cannot only be inside you, it's in you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm absolved of that. No, you're not. You have that, we're tempted with it constantly. Years ago, I was, I was mentoring a young man, trying to train him up in ministry. And I'll never forget, I met another guy who was very successful, and I, he was there with me. And then he, all of a sudden, he got so depressed. And I said, what's wrong? He says, I want to be successful. And I says, well, if you stay patient and you serve God, you'll, you'll have what he has. He says, but I, I said, but you got to, I said, you got to get an education. You got to train. It's going to take you a long time. The man was like 27 years old at the time, and he's all depressed and down. I'm like, yo, you got to just go on this journey. You got to take some time. And he was like, man, I, and I'll never forget. He says, I want to create a YouTube channel, and I just want to take what I'm learning now and give it to the world. Maybe that'll blow up. And I was like, where did you even get this thought that a YouTube channel meant blowing up? Like, you want God to blow you up, right? Let him prepare you. Don't think the eyes of men will be the definition of your success. But now that we have these little studios in our phones, we look at them as churches and we look at the likes as a sense of membership. And so all of a sudden people think I can automatically be a, a hashtag influencer. And, you, and, and I'm just asking, is the spirit of God the influencer to you? And, and, and I told him, I said, man, don't worry about a YouTube page. Worry about preparing. He's out of ministry now because he wanted to be next, and he wanted it now. And I'm telling you, you're like, man, that's a horrible, look at Adonijah, look at Adonijah, that's a, Pastor James, that's such an interesting story. And I'm saying, that story is the story playing in your heart right now. You want to know how I know? You know, there's a story of Jesus being tempted, Matthew chapter 4, Look what it says again, Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. Now, is this not just an amazing scene, Satan trying to tempt Jesus? Is it just like, in, in your head, if you're in the background, you were like, come on, Satan, you know you're not going to get, you know Jesus is going to be obedient, right? I don't think this is about whether or not seeing Jesus be obedient or not. I mean, obviously that's the outcome. This was Satan's best strategy. He's like, I'm going to throw my best work at this guy because I know he's probably not going to fall. And, his, and he felt like his most elevated, detailed, best strategy was to offer someone the kingdoms of the world. Just do this. Now. You can have it now. The me we just sang, we're all going to bow down. Every knee will bow to the king, Jesus. Jesus knows that all kingdoms will bow to him. It's not about kingdoms. It's about now. Satan says, you can have, oh, no, 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 no. You ain't got to go to the cross, baby. What's that cross? Shh. You ain't go out. I'll get all that blood on you. Just bow down. Make it quick. The temptation is not about the kingdoms. It's about the speed to the kingdoms. And this was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was tempted with this. Wow. How could you not feel this? Wow. 
How could you not feel this moment every now and then of like, oh man, what's, what's happening with me? Man, I'm, I don't even know what's happening with me in my life right now. Of course. Because this is Satan's best trick to make you feel like you're not next and you're not now. You say, well, maybe that was just something that happened with Jesus. Look what happens in Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them, this is the disciples, who would be regarded as the greatest. Think about this. You're like, you know what? The reason I feel this is because I don't have nobody discipling me. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm plugged in. They walked <laughs> with Jesus Christ every day for three years. And while walking with him and seeing him literally do miracles, raise people from the dead, turn water into wine, they're walking and all of a sudden they're like, okay, what's, who's, but who's going to be on his left and his right though? But I feel like I should be, you know, and they start getting into an argument, not about serving or anything like that. They get into an argument about who's going to sit next to him in the kingdom. And they were literally with this man who taught so eloquently, who did, did miracles so profoundly, and yet what they thought about was who's next? And when is my now? But church, I want you to, uh, we're going to look more at the first Kings as this series goes on, but I want you to see something that happened to those young men. Do you know it says of the sons of Zebedee, their mom walked up to Jesus and it says, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left in your kingdom. Those boys did not get that thought on their own. Their mom said you should be next. You should be now. And part of the core dynamic that happened with the disciples was they were allowing influence, even good people, to influence them to feel pressure to be next and now. The disciples felt it. Jesus felt it. You feel it. The spirit of Adonijah is heavy in the city, heavy in the world, and heavy in the church. The next and the now. I'm not speaking of the world. I'm speaking of us as believers. The question at hand is, are you a spiritual opportunist or are you a servant of God? And by spiritual opportunist, I say, you rally up verses, you pray your incredible prayers, You'll even fast, but your fast and your prayers and your devotions are really about your now and your next. And a servant of God says, what's next? And they allow themselves to go into whatever season God has defined for them because they know in the proper time you'll exalt me. And so I'm going to humble myself and follow you wherever you want me to go. I will not exalt myself. I will not pressure myself. I reject the influences of the world, even if it's my mama. Even if it's so-called godly people, pressure. 
my daughter was in a play yesterday into the woods. She was Cinderella. She was great. It's amazing. And as I started tearing up as she's up there, I feel the pressure to live out my dreams vicariously through her. And so sometimes we think, well, we got to get her a vocal coach. We got we got we live in New York, so we got to get you in Manhattan. We got to put you in this best school. And I want to say from the purity of my heart, that's all about her. That's what I want to say. But I'd be lying to you if every now and then I don't dream of what it's like to have my child be lifted up. And so I've got to purify myself from the pressure of pushing her to be something because in some ways and somehow I'd like for her to just be great regardless if it's with the Lord. Regardless if it takes time. Wouldn't it be awesome if my daughter loved God and was a barista? Wouldn't it be great if she loved God and was just a barista? Or would I trade that for her to be great in the world but have a miniature relationship, a diet relationship with God? And many people sacrifice this because they don't care if it's about obedience. They just care about greatness and seenness. And that's, that's are, we, are we raising up as parents? Are we raising up? Are we just teaching our kids verses just to make them great? Are we doing that to ourselves? Are we just attaching verses to our lives? Because I know this works. I know, one, time, one time I was, you know, I played football and I, I coached a little bit. And when I coached, um, they heard I was a pastor like, yo, and it was cussing up a storm. It was, you know, the, all the coaches. And it was like, yo, I heard you was a, a, a pastor. I was like, yeah, he was like, you want to pray? I was like, sure. He was like, I heard that works. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know? And I'll never forget that. Because he was like, I could have done a, a, a dance, you know, a rain dance, it wouldn't have mattered. He just said, I heard that works. And in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people are deconstructing the church, not just because they were hurt by the church, but because the verses didn't work. They, they, they thought, oh, I thought I can do all things. You thought all things was that job. That's your problem. You attached those verses to your dream, and you didn't make your dream. You didn't make God your greatest affection. And you're really devoted to your goals, not your God. When you look at Adonijah in verse Kings, verse 7 and 8, look what he says. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But watch this. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shemaijah, sha, 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 and Rehi, David's mighty men were not with him. Now, I'm not going to go over those names again, praise God. But here's, here's, here's what I just want you to know. Look at, the ver look at the word but. Zadak, Benaniah, all these people. He confers with Zariah and Abathar. Adonijah knew who would affirm him. 
And so he strategically did not get counsel from people that he did not think would validate and affirm his decision. Wisdom comes from a multitude of counselors, yes, and I don't want to to go against what that says, because that's true. Who's the counselors? Because what I've found is, I've had people come sit with me. Pastor James, I'm thinking about doing this wildly disobedient thing that has nothing to do with God, and I'm going to completely go against his ways, and this is radically not what God wants for my life, but I just want to get your thought. And I'm like chapter, verse, um, wisdom, experience, insight, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, right? And they go, I'll pray about it. And I'm like, you can't, there's nothing to pray about. You're sinning. You're not doing the right thing. But they did not come to me for counsel. They came to me for validation. And I'm telling you how, I can't tell you how many people actually don't want God's wisdom. They want someone to just put another ice layer on their cake. They just want to put another layer on their decisions. They do not want what God has for them. So we need to pay attention to what James chapter 3 says. Who is, look what, look what James asked. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and his meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and, and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And what James says He is expressing what Adonijah does. Adonijah wants wisdom, but he wants worldly wisdom. Adonijah is ambitious, but he has worldly ambition. And I'm telling you, you are tempted with worldly ambition every day. And you are tempted to just get people around you that will cause you to want to get something now and next. And what James affirms in this text is the people that pressure you and push you and influence you to now and next, he says that is demonic wisdom because it's not of God. I want you to know there is a wisdom that is practical and insightful and has nothing to do with Jesus. I want you to know that for your now and your next, there will be people, you'll have advisors, you'll have great people. But I wonder tonight, do you have people around you willing to disappoint you for the sake of God? Have you recruited people, sought people who will disappoint you for the sake of God, who will displease you for God's will? Or have you recruited for yourself an insulated space of comfort just so that you can get to your now and your next? If you're a parent, your job is to train your child in the will of God.
We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.